turn in your Bibles to Psalm 27. If you're new with us, you've just turned in for the first time. Let me thank you, first of all, that you've done that. I know that's not an easy thing. Maybe you've been invited by someone else who goes to Salem Chapel or, or someone else that's been tuning in and they've recommended you tune in. So, man, I'm glad that you are here. So thankful for that. And we've been in this series in Psalm 27 entitled Heart of a Lion, really answering this question, how do you, how do I live courageously in a chaotic world? And we defined what we mean by heart of a lion this way, living with a courageous confidence in the character and competency of the Lord in all circumstances. Now, if you've been tuning in every week, you should have that definition memorized and what a great thing to have memorized. But another thing that we are working at memorizing is the entire Psalm, Psalm 27, all 14 verses. This morning, we're going to be in verse 13. But as I've said, I've committed along with you to work on memorizing this Psalm. And so I'm going to recite for you what I have memorized up to this point, And then we're going to take time to just unpack verse 13 together. So verse one of Psalm 27 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent, and he will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above mine enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your servant away in anger, for you have been my help. Cast me not off, nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. Guide me on a level path. Give me not over to the will of mine adversaries, for they are speaking false uh let me see here in verse 12, for false witnesses have risen up against me and they breathe out violence. I almost had it. But now we're gonna be in verse 13 that says this, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We're just gonna look at one verse this morning. But in this one verse is so much to helping us in us desiring to have this heart of a lion according to our definition. And so here's the idea that I want you to get this morning. It's this, that a heart of a lion believes in the goodness of the Lord. Believes in the goodness of the Lord. Let me define for you what I mean by goodness of the Lord, because that's a very broad idea. So here's a definition that I came up with. It's simply this, the evidence of God's character in your life. That's how I've defined the goodness of the Lord as we look at verse 13 this morning. The evidence of God's character 
in your life is the goodness of the Lord. So let's think about the character of God. That is a series in and of itself, and I understand that. That is a vast topic. But let me just list for you some characteristics of God. First of all, God is perfect or he's holy. Revelation 4, 8 speaks of that. God is immutable, which means he doesn't change. That's found in Malachi 3, 6. God is omnipotent or he's all-powerful. Psalm 33, 6 speaks of that. God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. Psalm 139 verses 7 through 10 speak to him and his omnipresence. God is omniscient, which means he knows all things. That's Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10. God is loving. We see that in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. God is self-existing. He never had a beginning. He never had an end. That's Colossians 1, 17. God is self-sufficient. John 5, 26 speaks of that. God is wise. Romans eleven thirty three 33 speaks of that. And God is faithful. Aren't you thankful that God is faithful? 2 Timothy 2, 13 speaks of God's faithfulness. God is good. We're talking about God's goodness. Psalm 34, 8 speaks of God's goodness. God is just. God is just. Deuteronomy 32, 4. And God is merciful. Thankful that God is just, he doesn't allow wrong to go unpunished, but thankfully as well, God is merciful, Romans 9, 15, and 16. God is gracious, Psalm 145, verse 8. God is glorious, Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 4, speaks to him being glorious. Those are some characteristics of the character of God. And through our lives, what the Lord is doing is he is revealing who he is to us. And one of the ways that he reveals who he is to us is through his goodness. And so if we're going to have a heart of a lion, if we're going to have that courageous confidence then we also have to say, man, let me believe in the goodness of the Lord, the evidence of God's character in my life. So let me give you three indicators from verse 13, three indicators that you are believing in the goodness of the Lord. Because you can be on the other side of this screen and you can be saying, yeah, I I believe in the goodness of the Lord. Well, let me give you three indicators that are going to help you to be able to see even today if that's truly what you are believing. David starts off this verse 13 by saying this, I believe. These are very important words. It's a very important statement that David is making. That's a declaration, a proclamation that David is making. I believe. And the first indicator that you are believing in the goodness of the Lord is this, that the goodness of the Lord is your personal conviction for living. I think what we need to understand about David is David has moved from a knowledge about the Lord's goodness into a personal conviction in the Lord's goodness to him. Think about that. Where do you fall? Do you have a knowledge about the Lord's goodness? Yeah, yeah, I know about that. The characteristics that you listed about God, yeah, I've heard those before. I could even recite those. I I may even have a degree in, in theology, and I know all of that stuff. Well, do you have a knowledge about the Lord's goodness, or do you have a personal conviction that the Lord's goodness applies to you? There's a big difference there. And what causes us? What would cause us to move from a knowledge about something 
into a conviction. And here's what causes that. It's we, when, whatever it is, whatever we have a conviction about, when it becomes the lens by which you see life. It literally is the paradigm by which you see life. And all of us have convictions, regardless of what those may be. Some of them may not be good convictions. Others of us, and hopefully this is true of you, have convictions that are based upon the word of God. And it is the lens by which you see life. It's not a knowledge about, it's a personal conviction. And that personal conviction affects the way that you see things. I wanna give you this formula, it's this. Knowledge plus faith, plus action equals conviction. Knowledge is important. It's important to have knowledge. But knowledge in and of itself is not enough. I need to have knowledge, but I still am gonna have to exercise faith. And the way that I know I'm exercising faith is it has to be put into action, and the result is then I have a conviction. Let me give you this illustration. So I love roller coasters. I love them. I didn't always love them. It wasn't until I was probably 15, 16 years old that I was brave enough to even go on a roller coaster that went upside down. But now I love them. My kids are so much braver than I. They were on roller coasters as soon as they were tall enough. But for me, that wasn't the case. And some of you are like, man, I love roller coasters. Others of you are like, I want to have nothing to do with them. And think about it this way. If we were at a theme park and we were about to get on a roller coaster, and you had never been on one before, you know what you would probably want? You would probably want some knowledge to reassure you that it was safe. And so we could go over the knowledge and we could go over all the laws of gravity that come into play that allow that roller coaster when it goes upside down not to fall off the track and go through all the different laws in science that make that a reality. And I could give you that knowledge, but you know, I could give you all of that knowledge and some of you don't like them. That knowledge is not enough. So at some point, what do I need to do with that knowledge? I actually need to get in line and I need to sit in the roller coaster. I need to have faith that whoever designed that roller coaster knew what he or she was doing. So I'm taking that knowledge, I'm applying faith, but in order for me, I can't just sit there looking at the roller coaster and say, yeah, I could tell you all about that roller coaster. Yeah, I have faith that that roller coaster is not gonna kill somebody. But if you're still sitting or standing at the bottom of that roller coaster looking up and you're not willing to sit in the roller coaster and ride it, what don't you have? You don't have action. But you know what's true of me? And I got the knowledge, maybe not all the knowledge, but I have enough knowledge to have faith and then to put that faith into action so that when I get in that roller coaster and I put the, whatever that thing's called that holds you in, that man, I have a conviction That when I ride that, I'm not fearful, I'm not freaking out that it's not safe. No, 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 I'm just there to be able to enjoy it. That's a simple illustration of what I said, knowledge plus faith plus action equals conviction. So let me ask you this, because David says, I believe. He has a personal conviction about the goodness of the Lord for how he lives. Let me ask you this, like if we were sitting across for one another and we were having a cup of coffee, If I asked you this question, how would you answer it? Why do you believe the Lord is good? Ask yourself that. Why do you believe the Lord is good?
It's what came to your mind. How would you answer that? Because I think it's important that we understand that the greatest evidence of the Lord's goodness is not whether you keep your job in this quarantine we've been in or whether you will be able to find another job or or whether you desire and, and you find a husband or a wife. That is not the greatest evidence of the Lord's goodness to you or whether you get that scholarship that you're wanting or whether you buy that house or whether you keep that house because you've lost your job or or whether you're healed from your sickness, whatever that may be right now. And as important as those things are, I don't minimize those things, but the greatest, hear me on this, the greatest evidence of the Lord's goodness is Jesus Christ's love for you. It's the greatest evidence. And so if your answer to that question, why do you believe the Lord is good, was anything other because Jesus Christ loves me, then you have an answer that is not something that is going to stand the test of time. It's not that those other things that you may have mentioned are bad things, but we need to understand, no, 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 the greatest evidence of the Lord's goodness is Jesus Christ's love for me. Listen to 1 John 4, 9 and 10. It says this, In this, the love of God was made manifest, or it was shown among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation or a payment for our sins. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of my sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Look at verse 10 again. John says this, in this is love. If we wanna use verse 13 from Psalm 27, in this is the goodness of the Lord manifested in the greatest expression that could possibly be. Not that you get what you want, not that you're, you get that job or you, that relationship that you desire continues or you get whatever it is that you may be asking the Lord for. No, 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 no. In this is love. How is love demonstrated in Jesus Christ's perfect life, death, and resurrection for my sin? It's the greatest evidence of the Lord's goodness. So if someone ever asks you the question again, how do you, why do you believe that the Lord is good? Why do you have a conviction of that? You need to say, because Jesus Christ loved me and he loves me. And he's demonstrated that through his life, death, and resurrection for my sins. Now, what's interesting, we're reading out of the ESV, but in the New King James Version, verse 13 says this. It says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So there's that phrase where in the New King James, it says, I would have lost heart. I think that's interesting because I'm sure on the other side of this screen, as you're sitting in your living room or you're sitting in a coffee shop or wherever you may be watching this, here's what I know. Some of you have lost heart in this chaos You've lost heart. You said before we went into this time, you were like, man, I thought my faith was in a good place. I thought my relationship with the Lord was in a good place. But you've lost heart. And whatever chaos or crisis you have been experiencing, you know why? Because you have had what I call a crisis of belief. 
and you've had a crisis of belief in the goodness of the Lord. And the reason why you've had a crisis of belief in the goodness of the Lord is because your circumstances have not given evidence to what you believe. So you're like, man, Johnny, I know, I know that the Lord is good. I know that, that, that God is good. I know that, but I'm struggling because the circumstances that I'm experiencing don't seem to be testifying to what I thought I believe. And it's caused you to be in a crisis of belief. And I want you to know something. I have been there. Yeah, that's right. The pastor that is speaking to you right now, I've had crisis of belief. I've had a crisis of a belief even in this last year. In 2019, I had a crisis of belief. I believed in the goodness of the Lord, but what I was experiencing in my life at the time was, was not testifying to what I was believing. And the reason why is I was allowing circumstances to determine whether or not that reality was true. For me, I always believe, and I still believe to this day, but at the time, I, I, I would have told you, man, I believe that you can never outgive God. And for, for me, it was, it was that belief that was being tested. You can never outgive God. And, and there were some things that God had asked me to give up that led up to last year. And I said, yes, and, and, and I gave them up. And then what I found was in my circumstances, it appeared to me that what I gave up was not matching what I received from the Lord. And so I had a crisis of belief where, wait a minute, I believe that you can never outgive God. The scripture testifies to that over and over and over again. But what I'm experiencing is contradicting what I believed. And I had a crisis of belief. I even went to counseling. And it was in that time and in allowing someone else to speak into my life, to take God's word to speak into our life, that what I came to realize is absolutely you can never outgive God. That's one, an aspect of the Lord's goodness. But what I believe should testify to that reality doesn't determine whether or not that's true. And what I learned in my life is what the Lord was teaching me last year is to answer, do I believe that I can outgive God to say, absolutely, I believe that to be true. But that is ultimately defined and is a reality because of Jesus Christ's love for me. I was wanting to determine it by circumstances. And what the Lord wanted to grow in me even deeper is that the ultimate act of God's goodness, the ultimate act of God's generosity in the crisis that I was going through is Jesus Christ's love for me and that I have a relationship with him. And I share that with you so that we're reminded this morning that when David says, I believe, what he's saying here is, here's what I know to be true. Here's my conviction. I have a knowledge about God's goodness. I have the faith to believe that. And I'm going to put it into action so that it is my conviction that the goodness of the Lord applies to me. And the greatest evidence of that is Jesus Christ. Here's the second indicator that you're believing in the goodness of the Lord. And it's this. Look at what David continues to say in verse 13, he says, I believe, but what does he say he believes? That I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. 
See, the goodness of the Lord is your focus for living. That's the second indicator that you're believing in the goodness of the Lord, that it's your focus for living. What are you focused on right now? Answer that question for yourself. Don't look to your husband. Don't look to your wife. Don't look to your friend. No, no, no. Think about that right now. What is your focus for life right now? Because focus, literally, that word literally means to concentrate or center yourself on something, to literally aim at something and have all of your attention on that one thing, whatever it is. And here's what I've found to be true, and it's a reality for your life, and it's a reality for mine. Focus is a choice. And it's a choice I can't make for you, and it's a choice you can't make for me. I can only make it myself. Focus is a choice, because what you focus on, you will hit. Some of you know this, others of you don't. Man, I love motorcycles. I love them. I don't have one right now. My wife's happy about that, but I used to have them. And and when I got my motorcycle license in Florida, one of the things that you had to do is you had to go through these cones. And I remember when I saw those cones in the in the bike that I had, I was like, man, this is a big bike. And that doesn't seem like a lot of space to be able to maneuver through those cones. Man, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do this. But it was interesting what the instructor said. And it was actually counterintuitive to the way I was thinking. He says, if you want to get through those cones, you need to focus on the right thing. Don't focus on the cone. Focus on the space between the cone and you won't hit them. What was he saying? If you focus on the right thing, whatever you focus on, you will hit. And David has had so many factors in his life. Right, We've shared with you the context of this psalm. David is running for his life. He's in the caves in the desert of Israel. David has had so many factors in his life going on. He's had factors that have questioned whether or not he's going to be safe, whether he's going to die today. He's had hunger. I'm sure he's experienced loneliness. But what was his focus? He doesn't say anywhere in this psalm that he has been overcome with focusing on those things. Now, he does mention some of those things, but he always mentions how he overcomes those things. He was That wasn't his focus. His focus was on what? His focus was on the goodness of the Lord. That's what it says in verse 13. That's why I mentioned the New King James Version. I would have lost heart unless I had believed in what? In the goodness of the Lord. This is my focus. What motivated him? to believe in the Lord's goodness and that it would manifest itself in the future. Because notice it says, I shall. What motivated him to see that in the future? I believe what motivated him to see it in the future is that he concentrated concentrated on the Lord's goodness in the present, but also in the past. Psalm 145, verses 13 and 14. This is a psalm by David, says this. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. If the Lord's goodness cannot be seen in your life, you're like, man, Johnny, I just can't see it. I can't see it. It's not, hear me on this, it's not because it doesn't exist. It's because you are allowing life's factors to affect your focus. Because what 
you focus on, what did we say? You will hit. You know, the past couple years, I was just, you know, in my quiet time with the Lord, I was struggling and, and just feeling like, man, I was, I was being too critical because I'm naturally a critical thinker. I can always mention what's wrong with something before I, before I see what's right with it. That's, that's how I naturally think. And I really felt like the Lord was asking me in the past couple of years just to journal as I read God's word on a daily basis and, and not journal a lot but just journal down some thoughts and make sure that as I'm journaling, I am making it a point to remember how the Lord is showing his goodness to me. And some of you, what you need to do because you've been so pulled to focus on life's factors rather than put your focus on how has the Lord been good to me? You need to have the discipline as I've had to do every day to start when you feel your focus shifting to unforeseen and discouraging factors to say, no, 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 I'm going to stop and I'm going to identify the Lord's goodness in my life today. And I'm even going to write down some things, not just today, but even some ways that the Lord has shown his goodness to me in the past so that the goodness of the Lord will be my focus for living. Psalm 77, 11 says this. This is a Psalm of Asaph who was struggling to see the goodness of the Lord. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. Here's the last indicator, the third indicator on whether or not you're believing in the goodness of the Lord. And it's found in that last phrase where David says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. And here's this last phrase, in the land of the living. Here's a third indicator. The goodness of the Lord, when you're believing in that, the goodness of the Lord shines hope into your living. It shines hope into your daily living. Now that phrase, land of the living, if you've read through the Psalms, is mentioned quite a bit. It's actually mentioned quite a bit in the Old Testament. It's biblical poetry that often uses this phrase to refer to actually our present world. Our present world. So literally, here's what David is saying. He says, I believe that I'm gonna see the goodness of the Lord when I am delivered from this present circumstance. What was that circumstance? Saul trying to kill him. David believed that one of the ways he was going to see God's goodness is he was going to be delivered from that present circumstances, that he was going to live in the land of the living. He wasn't going to die. And why did he have that conviction? Why did he have that hope? Because his hope was rooted in a promise. Remember all the way back when David was keeping his father's sheep and Samuel showed up to anoint the next king. David didn't ask for that. He was actually taken from keeping his father's sheep, brought before Samuel, and the Lord told Samuel that this is going to be the next king. David knew he was anointed the next king of Israel. He didn't know how that was going to take place. I'm sure he didn't know how. He's like, Lord, how in the world is this going to take place? He didn't know when it was going to happen. He had no idea. But because he believed in the character of the Lord to keep his promise, what did we say the goodness of the Lord was? The evidence of God's character in your life. Because he believed in that, that the Lord would keep his promise, he knew it was going to happen. Didn't know when, didn't know how, but he knew it was going to happen. 
And he knew when it did, it was going to testify that God is good, that the Lord is good. Think about the sun, S-U-N. Think about the sun. The sun never changes. The sun never changes regardless of how many clouds roll in or how dark the cloud cover is. We've had a lot of rain in the past couple of weeks. It's crazy, right? And you're like, man, I just want to see the sun. I'm like cooped up all day and, and now I'm not going to be able to see the sun. Well, the sun never changes. Just because there's clouds that are billowing through or there's cloud cover, it still doesn't affect the sun. The sun is always there. It's still shining bright, even though you may not be able to see it through the clouds. You ever been on an airplane and that airplane is flying at like 30,000 feet and you look underneath that airplane and you see it's almost like it's just a complete, it's like ground cover of all clouds. It's like you look like you could almost walk on them and it's thick and you can't see below those clouds and it's like thick cloud cover and maybe even you're seeing some rain clouds, but see, you're flying above it and when you're flying above it, what do you see? Man, it's bright. The sun is shining. Why? Because the sun never changes regardless of the clouds. But you ever find when you dive underneath the cloud cover, what happens? Well, those that cloud cover now has done what? It's blocked the sun. But it doesn't mean that the sun has changed. It doesn't mean that the sun has moved because the sun, S-U-N, is always greater than the clouds. Why? Because clouds are going to pass. Storm clouds are going to pass, but the sun is always there. And the hope that Jesus Christ provides you and provides me through his life, through his death, through his resurrection for your sin and mine, that hope that gives you an identity that if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, even today, or if you've done that already, gives you a new identity. I'm not defined by my sin. I'm not defined by my past. I'm not defined by whatever else that I may want to define myself by or say that I'm not. No, no, no. My identity is Jesus Christ and his love for me. That hope that gives me that identity, that hopes that gives me a relationship, that I have a Lord who always loves me in spite of what I do, that, that hope that gives me unconditional love, that hope that gives me an eternal future, that even if I pass from this life, I will be with the Lord forever. This is the hope. Listen to me. This is the hope. This is the promise that will pierce through any dark cloud that hangs over you. Because of your sin, because of sin that maybe has been committed against you, because of some circumstance that's out of any human control, that hope, the sun, S-O-N, pierces through any dark clouds that we may be experiencing in this present time. John 1.5 says this, the light, speaking of Jesus, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 8, 12 says this. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. John 12, 46 says, Jesus says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Listen to me. The importance of believing in the goodness of the Lord 
is it allows you and it allows me to live above the clouds, to live above those dark clouds that, that may be blocking the sun right now, those clouds that are circumstances, whatever it may be, that when I believe in the goodness of the Lord, it allows me to live above those, just like that plane above those clouds where the sun is shining bright. And why, does it, why will that happen? Because I'm focusing on the greatest expression of the goodness of the Lord, and that is what Jesus Christ has done for me. The hope that he has given me, that hope, that promise that will shine hope, shine life into your living. Charles Spurgeon, preacher from the 1800s, I mentioned him before, famous preacher says this, we must believe to see, not see to believe. We gotta believe to see. See, knowledge isn't enough, it takes faith. And that faith needs to be put into action so that we will have a conviction about the goodness of the Lord. You may be sitting on the other side of this screen and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And what I want you to know is the reason why the Lord is good is because Jesus loves you. He lived a perfect life for you, a life you can't live, a life I can't live. He died on the cross for your sin. He rose again for your sin so that today you can place your full trust in what Jesus Christ has done for you, not in the good that you think you can do, but in the perfection that Christ accomplished for you. And you can call right out right now and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I place my trust in you as my Lord and Savior. And you can have a new identity. You can have a relationship with God. You can have a hope for eternity. You can experience the goodness of the Lord. For those of us who have done that, here's what I want you to know. Better yet, here's what I want you to believe. I want you to believe in the goodness of the Lord today. Because that's what it takes to have a heart of a lion. I want you to have a personal conviction about it. I want it to be the focus of your life. And I want it to be something that shines light into your living. And more importantly, Jesus wants that for you. Lord, I thank you for this one verse that we looked at today. And how it reminds us that you are indeed a good God. Lord, that you are a Lord who is self-sufficient, self-existent, self-sustaining, all of those characteristics that we looked at. But God, you love us even in spite of our sin and our failures. And so Lord, may we have a personal conviction. May we exercise the discipline to focus on your goodness. Lord, it is there if we exercise discipline to see it to identify it, to rejoice in it, to celebrate it. And may that goodness shine hope to those that are struggling today in their living. In Jesus' name, amen.